I have always wanted to start a sermon off like that. <laughs> now, I haven't started that message just to indulge my own preaching fantasy, but to do a little show and tell for our stalled series, a series in which we are looking at what both causes our lives to stall out and how we can get unstalled in our lives and within our relationship with God. And this guitar represents an object in my life that might best represent an area that stalled out for me. So you see, I used to be all about playing the guitar and wanting to be a rock star. I mean, what better name can you ask for as a guitarist than Ripper? I mean, it's like Shredder or Slash from Guns N' Roses. I mean, it was my destiny to be a guitar god with the name Ripper, you know? So I first caught this vision for playing the guitar when I was watching Marty McFly from Back to the Future play Johnny Be Good and wow and shock everyone at the Enchantment Under the Seas dance. So around age 10, I started taking guitar lessons. And then at age 16, started a band and played music every chance that I got. And in college, even began to uh, play, take some classical guitar lessons that were progressing beautifully. But my guitar playing stalled out and came at, to an abrupt halt at the end of my sophomore year of college. Now some of you might be thinking, wait, well, I've seen you play guitar up here on stage on Sundays before and you're pretty good. Well, thanks for noticing. <laughs> but while I'm not the greatest on the guitar, so I'm not that bad, as I've told many people before, I'm no better at the guitar today than I was 12 years ago. My guitar playing kind of started out like this, just on the rise, continuing to get better. Then it kind of flatlined a little bit and started to atrophy. That's probably putting it too kind. My playing has definitely regressed. And that seems to be most true for most things in life, doesn't it? That if we're not growing, we seem to be declining. So my guitar playing has definitely stalled out. And the reason for this is both because of circumstances outside of my control and circumstances within my control. The circumstance outside of my control that uh, has caused my playing to stop was when around college I had a string of shoulder dislocations and I literally couldn't physically continue to play. But there have been a lot of reasons within my control for not keeping up with the guitar. Could it be school or work or other hobbies? Not enough time. But ultimately, the reason I've stalled out is because of my own lack of intentionality to make time to practice and actually improve. So as you think of your own life right now for a moment, what might be an object that you would bring like my guitar to show and tell that might represent how you have stalled out? Maybe it could be something that would represent an old hobby or an old ritual or a relationship or some kind of disappointment in life. Now the reason for why this is stalled out might be outside of your control, but I'd be willing to bet that you probably had some role to play, some responsibility to take for why this area of your life has stalled out. Maybe you didn't cause it to stall out at first, but you've allowed it to remain that way. So today, I want us to take an honest look at what role we may have actively or passively played in causing some area of our life to get stuck, including our relationship with God, and what we can actually do about it. It's because the truth is, we probably feel like a part of our life that's being stalled is being wasted. 
Some of you might just be cringing inside looking at this beautiful Fender American Deluxe Stratocaster and be thinking, I can't believe he doesn't play that more. Or you might be cringing at the fact that there's so much wasted potential for the sound that's not being heard by this guitar. But if that's true about this Fender, then how much more so should we be cringing and upset about the more serious areas of our lives that have stalled out? How much more should we be getting unsettled about the potential that's being wasted in our lives because we've remained stuck? So whether you're a church person today or not, we're glad you're here. And I think we can all agree that getting stalled and remaining stalled is not good. And regardless of where you are in your faith journey, our hope is that we're going to learn today some practical steps that we can all take to get unstalled. And to begin, we're going to meet a man in Scripture whose life became incredibly stalled out. And among the crowd, Jesus calls out this man whose life has stalled out. I just want you to imagine for a moment that Jesus was going to walk into the room where you're sitting right now, and he was going to call out an area of your life that has been stalled out. What do you think Jesus would say to you? So let's keep that question tucked in the back of our minds as we listen to Jesus' conversation with this man as found in the fourth book of the New Testament, the Gospel of John, chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Let's turn there together. Soon, another feast came around, and Jesus was back in Jerusalem. Near the sheep gate in in Jerusalem, there was a pool in Hebrew called Bethesda with five alcoves. Hundreds of sick people, blind, crippled, paralyzed, were in these alcoves. One man had been an invalid there for 38 years. So here we have a multitude of people by this pool called Bethesda, which means house of of mercy, and they are described as invalids. The word here connotes the idea that these people were either paralyzed or lame or extremely weak. And amongst this multitude, there was a man who had been in this position for 38 years. That's a staggering fact when you consider back in this period of history, people didn't always even live to be 38 years old. And here this man has been stuck in this position for that long. I think it's fair to say that this man's life has been radically stalled. Radically stalled. Now, we don't know more details about what this ailment, the ailment is that this man suffered from, or how he got here. Undoubtedly, there has to be something that happened to this man beyond his control that in some way has influenced this state. But if we jump down to verse 14 here in this passage, Jesus has another exchange with this man in which the text says this. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Now this statement, sin no more, may imply that perhaps there was something that this man did that actually caused his suffering, that caused him to be stalled out. That kind of seems to be the implication here. But we can be certain that in no way is Jesus suggesting that all suffering is due to someone's personal sin. Let's be clear. But perhaps in this case, this man's ailment was. Verse 6. When Jesus saw him stretched out by the pool and knew how long he had been there, he said, Do you want to get well? Now I think it's very striking that the text says that Jesus knew how long this man had been there. The important truth here is that Jesus doesn't simply know about people generally. He knows about each of us 
personally. He knows this man personally, and he knows you personally. And, he, and even though he knows everything about you, he still loves you. Yes, even you and even me. And then Jesus asks such an obvious question that it almost seems cruel. Do you want to get well? Well, of course this man wants to get well, right? I mean, he's been lying by this pool for almost four decades, hoping that when the waters would get stirred, that someone would put him in the water so that he might be healed. So obviously, yes, he wants to be healed. But since Jesus knows this man, I don't think he's fooling around with him or being mean, but I think he's hoping to get at something deeper. As I've reflected on this question for our context today, I wonder if Jesus might be asking us instead of, do you want to get well? This question, do you want to really get unstalled? Now, for any of us feeling stalled in some way, I think our quick response would be, yes, absolutely, clearly I don't want to be stuck here. But the deeper thing that I believe Jesus is getting at here for both this man and for us is this. Are you really willing to do what it's going to take to get unstalled? You see, most often what it's going to take for us to get from here, where we are in our lives now, to where we want to be is going to be a lot of pain, some uncertainty, some discomfort. It's painful to break an old habit and forge a new one. It requires risk and potential loss to kind of step out beyond the familiar and the known. And because there's such a great immediate cost to any kind of change, we miss out on future blessings because we don't want to undergo the present price of pain we need to pay in order to progress. Do you really want to get well? Do you really want to get unstalled? Well, if so, it's probably going to get a lot worse before it gets better. And that's one of the biggest reasons I think we remain stalled out. Let me try and illustrate. Earlier I mentioned that I suffered from a string of shoulder dislocations when I was in college. Now I needed to have this surgery to repair my torn labrum for years, but it finally took about four years of constantly having my arm pop out before I had the surgery because I knew how painful it was going to be, how costly, how difficult the physical therapy was going to be afterward. And I finally decided to break down and do it. And I will never forget, after having the surgery, the first session of physical therapy that I had. When the therapist took my arm and abrasively lifted it over my head like this, the pain was so excruciating that I'll confess, it turned this pastor into a sailor. <laughs> but after four to five months of recovery, now my shoulder doesn't pop out all the time, but only when I'm doing something really stupid. And as my wife Erin likes to say, when you're an idiot, you get pain. <laughs> so do you really want to get unstalled? If so, it's going to require some great discomfort, and not only some great discomfort, but some great intentionality. So let's try and tackle this question. Do you want to get well even deeper? In his book, Renovation of the Heart, Dallas Willard provides the general pattern for how people can experience uh, change. And this is what he calls the VIM factor, V-I-M. VIM is an acronym that stands for vision, intention, and means. Vision, intention, means. Change of any kind, especially spiritual change, requires this progression of vision, intention, and means. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Brian kicked off this series by talking about a grander vision. 
He says we won't grow or progress unless we have a grander vision for how things could be and for how things should be for our lives and our faith. Going back to the guitar illustration, I started playing because I had a grander vision for how my life could rock out like Marty McFly's. But that vision alone won't bring the necessary change that we need. It secondly takes intention. Now intention begins for a desire for something different and it's brought to completion by a decision to fulfill or carry through with the intention. Often the reason why we procrastinate doing what we say we want to do and intend to do is because we actually never make the firm, resolute decision to do it and to go for it. Intention necessitates decision. Now this strikes right at the heart of what Jesus is saying to this man by his question, do you want to get well? It's not just about a desire, but a decision. To put this question in terms of our conversation this morning again, do you want to get unstalled? Well, desire is not going to be enough. You need to make the decision to actually get unstalled and be aware of what it's going to take for that to happen. You're going to have to be willing to go through some painful steps like what, physical therapy and, sol- and surgery. So let me ask you straight. Do you really want to get unstalled? And if so, do you want it badly enough to actually take some next steps? Now the next steps that we can take are the M and the VIM, which stands for the means. The means are the ways, the practices, the steps, the habits that you engage in to fulfill your intention and to realize your vision. In the case of my shoulder issue, a healed, non-dislocating shoulder was the vision. The decision was to actually, or sorry, the intention was to actually decide to get the surgery. And then the actual surgery, physical therapy, and continued shoulder strengthening were the means of completing the change. Doesn't my shoulder look good these days? Yeah. We'll talk about the means a little bit more in, uh, at the end of our message here. But first, let's see how the, this man ends up responding to Jesus' penetrating question. Verse 7. The sick man said, Sir, when the water is stirred, I don't have anybody to put me in the pool. By the time I get there, Somebody else is already in. Now the prevailing thought about the healing power of this pool was that only the first person who entered when the waters were stirred would be healed. So what this man is saying is at least partly true. But some of the commentators of this text suggest that there is probably some rationalizing, some excuse making that is going on here. This man is probably trying to deflect the responsibility away from himself or from himself and onto someone else and something else. And when we get stalled, isn't this the natural way that we tend to react as well? By making excuses or using our refined, well-educated New England sensibilities to convince ourselves what we want to be true about ourselves actually is. How many of you have done that before? You guys should have your hands up. I know this is true for me, and so I thought I'd share an incomplete but fairly comprehensive list of excuses that I've used to justify much of my stalled activity. Maybe you'll be able to relate. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough energy. It's this person's fault, the system's fault. It's not my problem. People might think I'm crazy if I do that. I'm afraid of what people will think if I say that or do that. I might hurt someone's feelings unintentionally. This will just look too embarrassing. 
What if this doesn't work? I look too young to be taken seriously. I can't afford this. How could God possibly provide in this way? I'm not entirely sure I should do this, so I probably better not. The truth hurts too much, so I don't want to hear it. Something this inconvenient can't be the right thing. I just don't simply feel like doing this. I don't really want to make a decision right now. Things will probably just work themselves out, right? Ah, who really cares? Or someone better than me at this will probably step up and do what needs to be done. These are mine. Anybody relate to any of these? What are the rationalizations, the excuses that you have used which keep you stuck in an area of your life or in your relationship with God? Let's see how Jesus responds to this man. Verses eight and nine. Jesus said, get up, take up your bedroll and start walking. The man was healed on the spot. He picked up his bedroll and walked off. I love these seven words that Jesus says. Get up, take your bedroll and start walking. I think this, that Jesus calls this man not only out, but he calls him up. Because this man was probably hoping that Jesus would just maybe easily put him in the pool so he wouldn't have to do anything. But Jesus doesn't let him off that easily. I think when Jesus calls this man up, he's calling this man out of his passivity. His passivity. I think the passive way that we approach our relationship with God and lives is one of the biggest reasons that we get stuck. We kind of expect to just grow without having to work at it. We think we can just keep on doing what we've always done and still be thriving and progressing. But I think that's what they say the definition of insanity is, isn't it? To keep doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. And some of this underlying passive approach that we have toward our faith life, I think is due to what preachers like me have said in the past. One platitude or one liner that sounds really good and really spiritual, but has some very destructive, unintended consequences, is this statement. Let go and let God. Let go and let God. Now before I step up on my little soapbox about this statement, it does some, contain some good truth. It invites us to surrender our lives and put them in God's control. And since he's in control, we don't have to worry or be anxious or fret because ultimately he's in charge and we're not. And that's all true. But what's dangerous about this statement is that it unintentionally invites us to become passive in our faith. Instead of using the wisdom that God has provided for us to make decisions, establish good practices, to think creatively and take initiative both in our personal formation and in the work, our work in the world to love God and to love others, we instead want to sit back and kind of let God do that for us. We often can be tempted to expect God to do things for us that he's made us more than capable of doing ourselves. And we, when we expect God to do for us what he's made us capable of doing, I think we can slide into sin really easily. And we're going to stall out as a result. Recently, a satirical Christian news source called the Babylon Bee reported this fake news story about the application of the phrase, let go and let God. The headline reads, 
mountain climber recovering after decision to let go and let God. <laughs> let me tell you about it. Here in California, seasoned mountain climber Randall Jespers tumbled hundreds of feet down the El Capitan rock formation in the Yosemite National Park after reportedly deciding to let go and let God. I don't know, said Jaspers of Sacramento, I was at a really tough spot on the cap, a couple hundred feet up, and I wasn't really sure how to tackle it. Then I remember what Pastor Thomas said last week about difficult situations, telling us how we should just let go and let God. So releasing his safety line and relinquishing his grip on the handholds, Jaspers immediately dropped like a stone down the steep precipice, bouncing an estimated half dozen times before coming to rest, sources confirmed. A nearby climbing party alerted a medical rescue team who airlifted him to the hospital to be treated for numerous injuries. The doctor said, I'll be in traction for a while, Jaspers told reporters from his hospital bed, but I'm sure I can speed up the process a bit because, hey, God helps those who help themselves. <laughs> That's not in the Bible either. Now, this is just an outrageous application of this phrase, and I do want to apologize to anyone if it came across a little too graphically, but I've included it because it touches on such a pivotal point in our lives and our faith that we must almost always come to. It's the point on our journey where we don't know what to do next or how to overcome an obstacle, and so we give up too easily and we give in too soon and kind of passively hope that this thing will just work itself out on its own without having, us having to fight for it or to work hard for it. We just kind of give in and we put it in God's hands. And now there may be some legitimate times for that. I've experienced some of those. But oftentimes I can almost imagine God telling us this when we get stuck. Don't feel sorry for yourselves. Get back up and start walking. Keep pushing ahead. Keep fighting. The breakthrough is coming. I am with you. I think some of us need to hear that this morning. I'll never forget what one of my college professors said about this letting go, letting God approach to faith. He said, instead of letting go and letting God, we need to trust God and get going. Trust God and get going. Yeah, we need to remember that we need to surrender our lives to him. Yeah, we need to believe that he is with us and for us and he's gonna undoubtedly help us. But we shouldn't just wait around for him to do everything for us either. We need to trust him. And that means that we believe that God is who he said he is and that he's gonna do everything he said he's going to do. And then we need to get going. He isn't always gonna tell us every step that we need to take turn by turn like a GPS as much as he's gonna tell us to go. We see this all throughout scripture. After saving a woman caught in adultery, Jesus says to her, go and sin no more. To a Bible scholar wanting to know who his neighbor was, Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan and ends it by saying these lines, go and do likewise. Jesus tells his closest followers after he has risen from the dead to go and make disciples of all nations. And I'm going to be with you every step of the way. Jesus doesn't give them all the specific details, but he's kind of saying this. Trust me, I've just conquered death, and I am with you. Now get going. Jesus tells us to get going because often that's how we get growing. So as you think about your life right now, how can you begin to trust God and get going. 
If Jesus were to walk in this room right now and call out how you've been stalled out, what might he say to you? What is your guitar that you need to pick up and start playing again? In what areas of your life do you need to stop just passively sitting back, waiting for things to change, and take some initiative to get going? To help us put this in practice so we don't remain passively stalled, let me just share with you three words or means for fulfilling our intentions and vision. I first came across these combination of words from the leadership book, H3 Leadership. And the three H's that make up this way of leading your life are humble, hungry, hustle. Would you say those words with me? Humble, hungry, hustle. Hustle, as in be humble, stay hungry, and always hustle. I found these three words to be a great tool for examining how I can trust God and get going. First, be humble. Humility is the willingness to admit that it's not all about you and that you don't have it all together. Taking a posture of humility is foundational to break free from our stalled state. It's admitting that, yes, I'm stalled and that I have had a part to play in that. After this man was healed by Jesus, he later encounters Jesus again. And as we heard, Jesus warns this man to sin no more so that nothing worse may happen to him. In other words, Jesus is saying in this man's particular case, his sin landed him in this position he was in. And Jesus doesn't want to see him back there by that pool again or somewhere worse. In the same way, I think it's fair for us to wager that our sin might have gotten us stuck where we are as well. Now, sin isn't just doing what we shouldn't be doing. It's also not doing what we should be doing. So let me invite you just to ask God right here, right where you are, is there anything in my life, God, that I need to stop doing that's hindering my relationship with you? And then ask him, Lord, is there something I've been leaving undone that you've called me to do, but I haven't done? Give me the strength to do that. The answer to these questions, they may be the solution to getting unstuck. So first, be humble. Second, stay hungry. The opposite of staying hungry is complacency being totally okay with far too little. Complacency is a defining characteristic of being stalled. When we grow complacent, we lose our appetite for growth or our desire to learn or improve, or we lose that fervor we once had for God, worshiping him, becoming more like Christ, serving our neighborhood and world, and introducing people to Jesus. As a church, let me ask us, have we lost our hunger in any way? Have we grown complacent with just the blessings and the success of Grace Chapel over the decades? Church, we cannot, must not, and never ever lose our hunger and desire for wanting to do the will of God. Are you with me? So how can we regain our hunger? How can we regain our hunger? I think by remembering the grander vision that God has given to each of us and never letting that vision out of our focus. One of the best questions for rediscovering what that grander vision is in your life that I've recently heard came from the Conversations Women's Conference that happened a week ago. Now, just to be clear, I did not attend that women's-only event. (laughs) But I did get the inside scoop. 
ladies talk. I'm going to stop talking right now. But the speaker challenged the women by asking them what they wanted their legacy to be and to try and sum that up in a single sentence. My wife Erin and I talked about this, and I love what, as a mental health counselor, Erin said she hopes what her legacy would be, and that is to help people discover their dignity and their worth. That's powerful, isn't it? So to affirm Erin's dignity and worth, I said, you must be absolutely amazing because you married the greatest man on the entire world. (laughs) Be humble, right? But if you had to sum up what you want your legacy to be in a single sentence, how would you do so? What would God want that vision or legacy to be for your life? Because seeing that is how you get your appetite back for growth. Remembering this is how you stay hungry. And as you get this vision for the rest of your life, that's the V and the VIM, intend to live it out by consciously deciding to do so. That's the I, the intention. And then the M or the means come into play as we discover this third H. And that is to always hustle. Always hustle. Hustle is about how you get from where you are to where you want to go. Hustle is how you fulfill the vision or the legacy that God has placed on your life. Hustle is the opposite of passivity. So let me qualify this statement right away by saying you should always hustle except on Sabbath or during your time of rest because nothing is going to stall you out like running out of gas. How many have done that actually? Literally, a lot of you. Okay, we got some work here. But while we need that period of rest, we need to be people who work hard, take initiative, and do all that we can do to get going. So don't wait around for someone to tell you what to do next. Life is short. Make the most of the present opportunity. Get going. To hustle in this context, I think, is about working with excellence and diligence and generosity and partnership with God and each other uh, so that, that we can always be working for God's glory and for the sake of others and not for the sake of ourselves. Selfishness will stall you out almost immediately. So how can you get going and get serving Coming up in a couple of weeks from now, we have our Spring Serve Day where hundreds and hundreds of Grace Chapel kids and students and families and adults will leave the walls of our building to go and be the church out in the community to bless local organizations with hours of needed work. If you're looking for a simple way to get going or to stay going, join in with us May 7th that morning here for Spring Serve and you can sign up at grace.org slash spring serve or serve. But just something powerful happens, I think, as we trust God and get going in these areas of being humble, staying hungry, and always hustling. A couple of weeks ago, my wife and I took a break from hustling to go out west to Zion and Bryce Canyon National Parks there in Utah. Let me tell you, it was you tossome. But I was enjoying this view of the mountains of Zion here from our hotel balcony. Just beautiful. And Zion was named after the city of Jerusalem, which was also called Zion in Scripture. And it represented the presence of God. And as I was sitting there thinking about that in these three words, humble, hungry, hustle, I started to kind of draw these things out, getting this rhythm of being humble, staying hungry, and then always hustling. Humble, hungry, hustle, continuing to do that. And as I drew this out, I started to realize I was making the shape of a trellis. And there was a trellis, uh, which is what vines grow on, sitting right outside of our hotel. 
these beautiful vines growing up. There's another picture of it here that we can show you. Uh, this trellis was sitting right there, and, and it was what the trellis is the structure that enables growth to occur. It's the, the structure that enables growth to be facilitated. And in the same way that this trellis enables these vines to grow, this pattern, I believe, of getting the habit of being humble, staying hus- hungry, and always hustling will create the structure in our lives that will enable God to help not only get us unstuck, but to help us to grow and to constantly and continually flourish. But something else I loved about this trellis And the next picture here, it shows in the bottom left, there it is, that it's facing Zion Mountain. It's facing Zion Mountain. And just as this structure was facing what was representative of the presence of God, so as we get in these habits, we need to keep our eyes turned continually and unceasingly on Christ. Because he is the one who has taught us that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because we will be filled. He's shown us that our real food is to do the will of the Father. He is the one who hustled to complete the grandest vision of all through his redemptive work in this world, which, which exhibited the greatest humility that the world has ever seen. As Philippians 2 tells us, Jesus, who, who though was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And if this is what Jesus has already done for us, then we have every single reason in the world to trust him with our entire lives, even the small moments, even the the little decisions or the big ones. We need to trust him to do what he commands, to follow his example. And because this is who Christ is, when he calls out how you've been stalled out, trust him and get going. Trust him and get going. So based on all that we've heard today, how do you think Jesus might be trying to call out how you've been stalled out? My hunch is that he is inviting you to pick up your guitar one more time and to start rocking. Anyone with me? All right, let's pray. God, thank you for the amazing truth that you have taught us here today. The amazing opportunity and hope that we can find in you, Jesus. Thank you that you know us just as we are and that you love us. Forgive us, Lord, for maybe how we have remained passive in our lives and our faith. And I pray right now that your spirit would stir up a fresh energy, a fresh vision in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives to follow after you with all that we have. So Jesus, I pray for every person in this room, no matter where they are, help them by your spirit's strength to take the next step so that you might receive all the glory and that your world might be blessed and that every person everywhere would know that you are the risen Messiah. And it's in Christ's name everyone said together, amen. Let's stand.